it's pretty safe to be neutral. It can be comfortable not to have a strong feeling or opinion one way or the other about a particular person or event or issue. And in addition to chocolate and watches, Switzerland is also famous, of course, for its neutrality. It has not participated in a foreign war since its neutrality was established by the Treaty of Paris in 1815. It's easy for us to be Switzerland on some occasions. It's hard to be Switzerland when it comes to Jesus. We live in a day and age fascinated by the figure of Jesus. Movies about him become box office hits. More books have probably been written about him than any other person in history. People debate him as an historical figure. Scholars debate the words that he, that he said. Political parties use him as a prop. People who avoid organized religion still are still captivated by him, find him compelling. Even folks who want nothing to do with Jesus still say his name when they curse. It's hard to remain neutral about Jesus. As C.S. Lewis bluntly stated once, either he was the craziest madman liar in the history of the world, or he was the Savior Son of God. It's no wonder that the question asked today and our response to it has the power to shape and transform our lives more than any other question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, transform us, so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 37. Jesus and his disciples went into the village near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, and what, are, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples. The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, then after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you read Mark's gospel all the way through, you'll actually discover that it divides pretty neatly in half. There's 16 chapters, 
And there's kind of a first half and a second half. And, and the plot narrative really hinges on, on in, in chapter 8. So the first half of Mark's gospel is action-packed with Jesus' ministry and his disciples going from place to place, healing people, casting out demons, performing miracles, announcing the good news of, of God's kingdom. And then halfway through chapter 8, the mood shifts. The narrative direction changes. It becomes much more tense, uh, much more urgent and serious as everything begins to point toward the cross. The turning point itself hinges on this question that Jesus asks his followers. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus wasn't fishing for information or having some kind of identity crisis. He wasn't conducting an opinion poll. He carefully chose this time to ask this question. Jesus knows who he is. Uh, he knows where he's headed. This was a strategic move on Jesus' part. Even the spot that he chose to ask the question was significant. It was away from the crowds. He wants to hear from his followers and not just fans. Caesarea Philippi was way up north in Israel. It was a capital built by Philip to honor the emperor Caesar who had given him this territory to rule. And it was famous for a temple to the pagan god Pan. It was famous for the worship of Baal. And it was famous for as a cult of emperor worship. Because remember, people thought, many people thought that Caesar was a god. This was a city built to celebrate worldly power. So isn't it interesting that Jesus chose this spot to ask his disciples for the first time, who do the people on the street believe him to be? And more importantly, who do they believe him to be? In other words, there's a lot of competition going around for loyalty and what power and rule look like. And Jesus wants to see where his disciples lie. Now, I've actually said in a prior sermon that this is a kind of define the relationship moment for the disciples. Jesus wants to see where things stand. There, there are crowds and, and fans that chase after Jesus wherever he goes, but not all are disciples. So where are his followers with all this? And so if the question is a turning point in Mark's gospel, then it must also be a turning point, a dramatic turning point in the disciples' lives and in our lives also. Jesus starts by asking them who the crowds say that he is. And their response is, some say Elijah, others say John the Baptist, and still others, one of the prophets. In other words, many people believe Jesus to be the precursor to the Messiah. What John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets all have in common is a belief among many Jews that they were to come before God's Messiah. So if Jesus is just John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, they expect the Messiah to be coming soon, but he ain't it. But who do you say that I am? Jesus asked deeply, personal question, almost like Jesus expects a different answer. In their mind and in their hearts, who do they believe him to be? And Peter says, speaking for the group as he often does, you are the Christ. Or you are the Messiah. In other words, not just the precursor to the Messiah, but the Messiah. The real deal. Now imagine, if you will, 
that you enter into a Zoom call. That's the, that's the example we have to use these days, right? You enter into a Zoom call. You grab your headset and you sit down in your chair waiting for, the, for the, uh, the meeting to start. You take a deep breath, maybe take a sip of water and try to psych yourself up for the call because you know that it's not going to be the only virtual thing that you do that day. Now imagine that, that Jesus comes onto the screen. <laughs> you didn't expect him to be the host of this Zoom meeting. You know it's him. You're unsure of what to say, so you, you try to break the ice by making some kind of weird joke about turning the water you're drinking into wine. Before you have a chance to make this even more awkward, Jesus cuts right to the chase and he looks you square in the eye. And you've never felt so simultaneously vulnerable and safe all at once. And he asks you, who do you say that I am? This is a question that represents and invites much. <laughs> First, it's a, it's a question that invites us to know Jesus personally. There's a difference between knowing someone personally, relationally, and knowing about someone. I'm a Duke fan. Most of you all probably knew that already. It's a tough year for Blue Blood programs, right? Uh, so I know a lot about Coach K. I've read books that he's written. I watch his interviews. I watch all the Duke games. But I do not know him personally. He's not someone I interact with in my day-to-day -day life. My wife, on the other hand, I know personally and intimately. I don't just know about her. I don't just know facts and information. I do know those things. But I also know her because I'm in relationship with her. Who I say that she is to me says a lot about our relationship. So when Jesus asks us who we are to him, who we say that he is, it isn't a, a pop quiz. He isn't looking for informational mastery from us and for us, for us to feel like we have him pegged, we have him figured out. He isn't seeing if we've arrived. He's seeing if we've begun. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? He's, he's looking for a confession of trust, an entrance into relationship, the beginning of a relational journey. He wants us to know him, not just know about him. You know, at some, in some point in my life, and it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly when, it's more like kind of like a gradual unfolding. I saw who Jesus was for myself. Not that my parents were wrong about that, who, who they said Jesus was, far from it. Not, not that the church I grew up in or the Sunday school lessons or the songs I sing about Jesus were wrong about who he was. I learned so much about Jesus through them, and all of that paved the way for what, for what came next. It's just that at some point, Jesus became more than just what others said. Jesus became more than just the sum of the information that I had learned about him. He became real to me, Savior, Lord, Christ. And it felt like that I didn't just know about him. I was beginning to know him, as in being relationship with him. Some of you may have had this experience or are, or are having this experience. Some of you are still seeking. Some of you, this may not connect at all. And that's okay. Jesus will be there. Who am I to you? Jesus asks us because he loves us. He wants, us to know, he wants to know how we feel. 
about them. Is our relationship exclusive? Is it just a, a, a casual weekend thing? Has it become more serious? Do we show up for worship just every once in a while? Is, is Jesus Lord and, and Messiah, but like only over certain, over, over certain parts of our lives? Is he just a good teacher, a moralist, a, a nice guy, but not the one to save us, not the one to make demands of us? Is he just a nice idea or ideal that inspires us to live kinder? Is he someone to keep at a safe distance but close enough to call upon when we need a favor? The question isn't about mastery. It's about a confession of faith, trust. That's a leap of faith, a starting point from which to grow and be transformed. It's to put us on the journey of walking with Jesus and growing in our knowledge and our love. At some point, at some point, Jesus has to become personal. Jesus has to move from an idea and an ideal to a real life Savior and Lord. Which leads to the second thing about this question. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Our answer says more about who we are than about who Jesus is. Because here's the truth. How we answer that question doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, is the Savior, is Lord, whether we acknowledge him to be or not. But who do you say that I am is at the same time, who will you say you are? that's the really hard part. If we only had to provide an answer to Jesus' identity, that would be one thing. But answering the question of Jesus' identity is precisely having to express our own. Who we say Jesus is, is who we have decided to be. We can't answer Jesus' question without revealing who we are, which also means... Who we are reveals who we have decided Jesus to be. This question means admitting how we follow Jesus actually connects with confessing who we believe Jesus to be. Jesus as Savior and Lord means we're a redeemed people, a rescued child of God, a missionary servant. If Jesus is just a, a clever teacher, a nice man, a historical, a historical figure, a moral ideal, then that means that something or someone else is still our Lord, our Messiah. If Jesus is just a nice man who helped people, then discipleship is just about being nice to others. If Jesus was just a good teacher, then that means discipleship will just be about learning the right things. If Jesus was just a narrow-minded judge, then that means discipleship will be about being the morality police and the gatekeepers of holiness. If Jesus was just a therapist, then that means discipleship will just be about making people feel good inside. But if Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the incarnate God, then discipleship will look like abandoning ourselves in dependence upon the grace of and the mercy of the one who rescued us, so that we might then help in the healing of the world. It will look like going with Jesus to the cross. It will look like an old self dying and a real self emerging. It will look like downward mobility, radical love of neighbors, passion for justice. It will look like a strangely beautiful kind of allegiance, a highly curious and loving life, a cross-shaped identity. Which is why finally, 
this God question invites a whole life answer. This is not like passing notes in class, asking, do you like me? Check once or no. Okay, done. This is about the beginning of growing more and more in our love for Jesus with every part of our life. So that every part of our life is able to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus doesn't just want our lips to say that he is the Christ, Lord, Savior. I mean, that's important. Scripture tells us if we confess Jesus Christ is Lord with our lips and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But, but Jesus wants our whole life. In other words, Jesus asks, who are you saying that I am by your words, your actions, your way of being in the world? A political prop? A wish-granting genie? A therapist? A narrow-minded judge? An anything-goes hippie? An irrelevant historical figure? Or the Savior and Lord of the world? Who do you say that I am is nothing less than being willing to risk being known for what we believe about Jesus. When Peter responds to Jesus' question with the right answer, that Jesus is the Messiah, we might take a sigh of relief. But what we discover as a reader, and also as a Jesus follower, is that grasping and naming Jesus' identity isn't just about getting the title right. Because right away, when Jesus says what actually being the Messiah will entail, his suffering, death, and resurrection, Peter rebukes him. And then Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter. And we know that later on, Peter denies Jesus the Christ three times. Three times when under threat. Are we that different? I don't know about you, but I, I begin to think about the many, uh, how many of my words and actions don't confess Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Rather, at best, they testify that he's a good man maybe a great man, maybe even an example to follow or someone to be inspired by, kind of like a great prophet. At worst, they testify to a small, impatient, conditionally loving judge. I suspect that I wouldn't be alone in sensing that disconnect between what we say on Sunday morning and the lives we lead the rest of the week. Who do we say that Jesus is with our whole life? That is with our relationships our bank accounts, our time, our energy, our priorities, our everything. The world's true savior and king? Who do you say that I am? If you don't know how you would answer that question right now, don't panic. There's nothing in the question that's meant to heap guilt but to open up more of our hearts and lives. Your answer to the question, no matter what it might be, can only help you and serve to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. It's not grounds for a breakup. Jesus won't let us go that easily. However, as the Lord, the Messiah, the crucified and risen Son of God, Jesus makes it impossible for us to remain Switzerland. Neutral, hiding behind our detached or supposed objective investigation. Jesus may not take us to Caesarea Philippi, but he still asks us the question. In the midst of all the things that seek to exalt themselves and rule over our hearts and lives, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? In the midst of all the ways we, ch we uh, 
Uh, we chase after redemption and wholeness and healing. Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? In the midst of the choices we make to try to secure happiness and security, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? In the midst of all the ways we relate to people in this world, Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? In the midst of our brokenness, our imperfections, the messiness of our lives, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? In the midst of the suffering, the hardship, the pain, the violence, the injustice, Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Friends, that question and our answer is everything. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.